Hey, hi, uh, I am Richard Donner, but you can call me Dick, and you're listening to Superman Movie Minute. Is that right? Did I do it right? Hello and welcome to another thrill-packed episode of Superman 3 Movie Minute, a show that scrutinizes, analyzes, and you'll believe a man can flies 1983 Superman 3, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Franklin, and joining me on this journey through time and space is... Rob Kelly. Hey Rob, how's it going? It's going great. Uh, I apologize if you guys through the course of this episode hear me crunching peanuts through the show, but I just wanted to really get into the spirit of it. <laughs> Uh, that chuckle you hear uh, means we're not alone. Uh, today we have a very special guest coming to you from across the pond in the Palace of Glittering Delights. Is your pal and mine, our favorite Northern Chancer, Mr. Andrew Leyland. Hey, Andy, how's it going? It's going brilliant. Thank you, Chris and Rob, for inviting me back. Uh, you're, it's great to have you back. You have guested on Superman Movie Minute for the previous films, but uh, we do have to ask, what's your history with Superman 3? Uh, I love Superman 3. I saw Superman 3 in the cinema. Uh, I saw the other two in the cinema as well, it has to be said. But I saw Superman 3 in the cinema. I fondly remember seeing it. I think I saw it around my birthday. So what will I have been then? 11, was it 1983? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'll have been 11. Um, I distinctly remembered it. I had a copy, an illicit copy that my uncle got me on VHS. So none was more surprised than I when it debuted on ITV in 1986, I want to say, that it started with these wackadoodle opening credits in space. And I'm like, this, this isn't in my version. And then prompted, <laughs> promptly went on to have more and additional scenes in it that I think actually improved the movie more than the additional scenes in one and two. Mm. So I've always loved Superman 3. Uh, I'm going to throw hot takes out at your lovely audience. One. As a piece of work, this holds up tonally better than one or two. <gasps> because it's, it's a straightforward 80s action comedy that basically rips everything from the Bronze Age comics. This is everything. If you were reading Superman comics in 1983, this is what you got. And I think it's a brilliant adaptation of that kind of comic story. And two, I have never been able to source this again. And I wish I could. But around the time that Batman versus Superman came out, I read an article by a guy who teaches script writing. And I don't wish to bring controversy down upon your ears. But he said, irrespective of what you think of the films, in terms of the script writing, in terms of three-act structure, set-up payoff, rising action, all of that gubbins, Superman 3 is a better written script than Batman versus Superman. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there rob I, oh throw it to me chris thank you <laughs> um i think the phrase better than batman v superman is that's a low bar <laughs> to have to clear it's uh, a written script he didn't say it was a better film as a written script i would yeah i would agree with that yes yeah i i think that the I would argue that Superman 3's flaws are in the 
Oh boy. I mean, part of it is the conception because to me, just bringing in Richard Pryor, making it a Richard Pryor comedy is, is the problem from start one. But I think does Richard Pryor being in the movie inherently make it unworkable? No, you could have, as we talked, we've talked about in previous episodes, Richard Pryor was capable of drama. So um, I think I would say, yes, the Superman three is more problematic in its execution than in its conception. Uh, so yeah, I would, yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, again, to me saying something is better than Batman v Superman <laughs> is not, it's not that much of a compliment. It's like when you go out at night and you have too much to drink and you get home and the next morning you're, you're either up trucking or it's coming out the other end. Either's unpleasant. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it's just, which do you personally prefer when you're ill? <laughs> you know, oh, man. <laughs> Whew. I, you know, I, I have to say, yeah, this actually, the way the story goes, the, you know, every, everything is set up, everything uh, flows. Uh, I, I can definitely see that. And also, and I, and I know Andy, you and I have both agreed over the years about the whole Bronze Age comic book feeling. Mm-hmm. This feels like it could be a Carrie Bates written Superman yep. story because there Absolutely. was often some luckless guy who somehow stumbled upon uh, some incredible uh, thing, whether it was alien in nature or whatever, that Superman got involved in their story, and uh, and and then by the end of the story, that that person's not evil. They've just been, you know, they've just fallen into circumstances that have propelled them into a world that is not their own. Uh, this world of superheroics, and and Superman has to basically bail them out, and they become friendly at the end. I mean, I, I remember there was a. Uh, one of the your beloved digest rob that was like superman and kids uh that actually had that theme all these kids got dragged into superman stories and they were all <laughs> bronze age stories mostly um so it's it's that same kind of formula in into a film so in many ways it is the most comic booky i hate to use that term but it's the most comic book like of of the superman films in that way absolutely yeah that's that's completely true yeah, yeah. I've, I've long thought that about it. We did a commentary on Superman 3. Oh, God, way back on Hackett's comics. So, um, and I think one of my main thesis for that was this is a 1982-83 Superman comic. This, that's, this is what you were reading. <laughs> it's why, as much as I, I'm, I'm looking forward to Superman 78, and I've read the first issue now, I kind of think that if you were reading the Curry Bates, Kurt Swan issues, you got that. That's, that's what was being published every month. Yeah, not quite as goofy as this, but still, (laughs) this is true. This is true. (laughs) So, you guys ready to? Now that we have that out of the way, and we've 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 uh, angered all the Snyder fans. uh, Do we? (laughs) Oh, I make a hobby out of doing that. (laughs) Anger, angering those people—that's hard to do. I haven't paid attention to you for five seconds. I oh, I've made you angry. Okay, <laughs> let's let's talk about Superman three. For let's God. talk about Superman three. For the love uh, of Pete, Andy, what are you doing to the show? Yeah, let's, let's talk about a fun Superman movie. Yes, exactly. Uh, our minutes eighty through eighty five begin with Lorelai waiting for her date atop Ross's ski lodge penthouse, and ends with little Ricky running out of a taxi cab. Uh, so again, we begin on that penthouse and, uh, guys, it took me 35 plus years, but I finally noticed Lorelai's necklace. It's a snake and apple 
uh, which Ooh. seems appropriate. Yep. Uh, I, I have no idea what may have distracted me from noticing the necklace before. <laughs> I would think your eye would have really been drawn to that area anyway, Chris. So I, I think I was I... looking past that to the other parts of that area. <laughs> I, I can't imagine what about Pamela Stevenson would distract you from from looking closely at the uh, the neck area. It could be her decolletage, which is prominently on display. <laughs> There's a lot of tape involved in that uh, setup, I think. Uh, uh, well, yeah. Pamela Stevenson's an interesting subject. I mean, she's a fascinating woman in and of herself. Um, she started uh, in the 70s doing pretty much straight acting. She's very, very young in an early episode of Space 1999, which I know Rob Willups seen. And she I don't is... remember that one, but okay. <laughs> oh, she's stunningly beautiful in it. In that episode, she did a couple of episodes of The Professionals. She's in, she's all over the place. She's in a couple of hammers, isn't she, Chris? I don't know. I, I, I she may be. I, I haven't come across her, but that doesn't mean she's not. Because there's still some hammers I haven't seen because I don't want to watch them all. I want to still have hammer movies to see, so I kind of that's all about. <laughs> I'm sure she's in one of the vampire ones, but I'd have to look it up. I can't okay. remember. She certainly got the build of a hammer. She oh, certainly yeah. got the build of a hammer actress. Yes. Yes, <laughs> and then in the eighties she takes a, a left turn into comedy, and over here she's primarily known for not the nine o'clock news, right. which was a comedy sketch show that erred against the nine o'clock news appropriately enough, <laughs> with Rowan Atkinson and Mel Smith and Griff Rhys Jones. And over in your neck of the woods, she did Saturday Night Live for a year, didn't she? Yep, yep. Yes. Well, the one that we talked about it—the season with Billy Crystal and Christopher Guest and Martin Short and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But her last straight acting role seems to have been an episode of the nineties Columbo. And then she did a left turn again and became a sex psychologist and therapist, which is essentially what she still is, um, married to Billy Connolly. So she's quite a fascinating and interesting woman in, in where she's gone and where she's took her career and all of that stuff. But at this point, she was probably the biggest star in the film to a UK audience, irrespective of Christopher even Robert Vaughan. I know what you're saying. But I, my recall is that she did most of the pre-publicity marketing and interviews and stuff for the film and all the red carpet stuff. And it was her that appeared on chat shows like Parkinson and things like that. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Cause you know, from our angle, it was all Richard Pryor. So mm. um, I don't know how much he promoted it, but uh, it was definitely all Richard Pryor's in a Superman movie, you know? So I, I don't even know if I was aware of who Pamela Stevenson was when it first came came out because that was like what a, this was a year or so before the Saturday Night Live run, right, Rob? Yep. Yeah, she was on the eighty five to eighty six, eighty uh, no eighty four to eighty five season. Excuse me, eighty four to eighty five. So yeah, this is a full a full year before that. Okay, yeah. So I didn't really know who she was when I got that uh, that uh, Starlog magazine uh, with the <laughs> the posters in it. <laughs> It's, it's sort of ironic that given Pamela Stevenson's career turn, a lot of the books that Lorelai is reading on the on the down low are probably books Pamela Stevenson has read. Yeah, like yeah. all the highbrow stuff. Yeah, well, that, that's all. That's essentially all missing from the theatrical cut as well, isn't it? There's there's like one or two nods to it. It's a lot more prominent in the expanded TV version that she's she's actually quite smart and keeps it on the down low. I haven't watched the TV version in a long time. I found a VHS tape that I recorded that off of ABC when it first aired, I think. <laughs> uh, I need to get that out and see if I can still watch it. I have a working VCR. I need to, I need to watch that. I haven't seen the extended uh, TV cut, and they have not released that one yet. So 
Um, no, you, you'd think they would have, and I want a cut of that movie rather than anything else that they could possibly imagine. But yeah, I, that's the one I had on video as well. After I taped it off the TV, that's the one I had was the expended one. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's some interesting parallels uh, from the first film, if you think about it, in this scene, because Superman lands on a penthouse roof for a date, uh, but rather than a romantic and innocent flight through the sky, well, uh, <laughs> it's a bit more tawdry, isn't it? <laughs> Is this Lois Lane set? I don't. I don't know. I mean, it could be a reworked version of of the penthouse roof set. I guess it could be. I, I don't know. What do you think, Rob? Mm, I mean, I don't. I think they filmed the the penthouse set. I think that was in. No, it wasn't in New York. So yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, a lot of this is all this stuff is all done in like Pinewood, right? I mean, yeah, I would imagine Pinewood Studio. Yeah, right? that they have these things as sort of freestanding. The thing that the thing I thought was funniest about this whole sequence was that like during this, the movie turns into body heat. You yes. know, like, <laughs> it just there's this sax music on, and like yeah. the lighting gets all dark, and all like all of a sudden I'm like, how am I in Lawrence Kasdan's body heat all of a sudden? <laughs> and. and I, I am ashamed to admit, uh, Chris, you mentioned how it took you 30 years to notice the necklace. I cannot tell you how many times I watched. I mean, look, I haven't watched Superman 3 nearly as many times as I've watched the first two movies, obviously. But it was well into adulthood, what I laughingly call my adulthood, till I realized that they were having sex. <laughs> I just never, I don't know, like there's some, maybe I just grayed out on the scene or something. But like, I don't know. I just, when I watch it again, I'm like, how did I not? pick up on that <laughs> earlier because it's like it's pretty obvious what's going to happen and i just i never notice it and then when i think about it, i'm like this movie was rated pg it was like i wonder what parents were thinking when they took their kids to this movie I, you know when i first saw it i'm not even sure i knew what sex was you know really i mean i i, I watched enough of my mom's soap operas you know just you know through you know while i was in the house to know that people got in bed but i'm not sure i knew what they did you I, know i barely know now so i mean i don't know i mean it's just it, it's just amazing to me how much i'm surprised that i mean we know back then warner brothers slash dc just didn't have a handle on these characters like they didn't recognize what do you mean, back then yeah well okay let me <laughs> let me I guess they just weren't as on the tiller when it comes to like the manipulate, you know, like the, the manipulation of like these icons. And it's like, it, to me, it's shocking that like they let that go as far as they did. It's just like, they really are letting Superman have sex with someone who's not Lois Lane. Like, wow. Well, and, and to me, this begs the question in the continuity of the films, how can Superman have sex with her and not have to give up his powers? <laughs> yeah right yeah yeah Mar yeah Jor-El's like i told you i already what he does i have to tell you stupid kid you can't do this brando appears before him. my son i don't blame you for this one <laughs> go for it <laughs> the worst brando i've ever heard in my life. i just yeah, assume pamela stevenson has magnificent hips and can contain whatever <laughs> you know? oh my lord <laughs> Speaking I mean, all that, I can assume. But that's something Rob and I brought up on previous episodes, Andy, is, you know, how uncomfortable Lana seemed with Superman when he started to turn. Yeah. And, you know, there was that fear. I mean, it's 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 unsaid, but it's palpable that, that she is, oh, my God, this guy can do whatever he wants. And with, with the Lorelei, it's like, oh, my God, this guy can do whatever he wants. The A, you know, I mean, it's, it's like this weird, like, shouldn't she even as a – you know, vixen type character. 
shouldn't she be a little concerned that, that this is this is this um you know alien powerhouse of a being is like i mean the way he comes up to her and grabs her by the you know the back of the head and mm. i mean he's got this this grin on his face as they go down and thankfully they cut uh you know they cut i can't believe you just said go down yeah that well yeah i'm sorry <laughs> Sorry, man. Andy's making this. We're gonna have to put an explicit tag this on this. Is the one. only NSFW episode of Super. I'm, so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, you're not, Andy. No, no, but no, when no they, I'm not. No. When he pivots her body down out of the camera range, uh, then um, I'm, I'm glad they cut. But I mean, he's got this look on his face. It's obvious. Well, except to Rob, it's obvious what his intentions <laughs> are. <laughs> What? <laughs> uh, she does. I, she does say "après ski" at one point, which I had to look up. Which means it's basically like an offer of entertainment. So yes. after skiing, yeah, after it's skiing, like But you know, okay. Yeah, I had to look it up too. I had no idea what that was, and in fact, I don't know. I had to put the, like the closed caption on to figure out what she was saying, mm-hmm. basically. But uh, thankfully, uh, we cut from that <laughs> to another scene. Uh, well, we. We cut from that to the oil drill is going up and down. So well, that's go. true. Well, they're not. That's what's weird. I mean, it's not like the tunnel, the train going through the tunnel in the Hitchcock movie or <laughs> anything like that, or the fireworks and, and Johnny Dangerously. Yes, I just made a Johnny Dangerously reference. Uh, so, hey, Batman. <laughs> that's Batman, right? <laughs> you know, you know in, in the continuity of the films, though, right? Lorelei made a career out of this. She turned this into a series of books. She went on TV. She became Dr. Ruth. She became the, the most successful of the four of them. Because <laughs> I don't know that they could really arrest Lorelai. What would they have her on? Yeah, that's true. I mean... Trespassing yeah. on the Statue of Liberty, maybe? Well, yeah. maybe. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe, maybe she became the character that Jan Hooks played in the Superman 50th anniversary. Lift the Nova, honey! You know, <laughs> oh, I just made a reference to that too. Oh, uh, God, we have to cover that for this show, don't we? I, I never even thought about that. Do we really? <laughs> Speaking I, of Saturday Night Live, that that's all over that that, that mm-hmm, thing because it's mm-hmm. Lauren Michaels, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, oh, but we cut to a uh, we cut to that, and then we cut to the gas pumps, uh, the gas station where a sign tells us they're only allowing two gallons per customer. There's a long line for the pumps backed out into the street, but a driver decides to try and wedge his car in front of the guy next in line, and the driver of that car rams into him. The line cutter gets out of his car and then assaults the other man. Uh, So I always took it as this guy, the guy that was actually next in line, rammed the line cutter on purpose. What did you guys think? Yes, he does. He clearly accelerates after he's pulled it in front of it. Right. That's what, I, that's what I always thought, too. It's like, you son of a... And he, he's like, get, he, he hits the gas pedal and rams into him. Yeah. Uh, this fight is just kind of... I mean, it's it's kind of awkward, and but it's it's kind of... It, it's, it, it's kind of interesting because it's not like a Hollywood-type fight. It's like, literally, if you've seen people like get into like a skirmish that don't know how to fight, this is like they're smacking each other and... They're shoving each other, and it's they're not like throwing like roundhouse punches. It's it's kind of awkward, but ugly, and somewhat surprising that it's that it's this way, and not your typical you know 
like, um, you know, John Wayne saloon fight or something, you know? Oh, this is something you would see on Twitter that somebody captured with their phone, you know? Like, right. look at these two idiots who got into a fight at a Starbucks over a, over a Frappuccino. Yeah, that's what it would look like. It's, it's a clumsy fight because it's two regular people, so. Right. Yeah. It's also incredibly out of place in a Superman film. <laughs> just these two random dudes just start punching the crap out of each other in in what is ostensibly a comedy a light comedy fantasy movie because you do one of the problems with superman 3 more than anything is you do frequently sit watching it wondering what the hell were they thinking <laughs> and this is one of the scenes where you you wonder what the hell were they thinking it's like they've gone from having dark superman basically kneeling pamela stevenson to this this quite realistic slap of this poor guy who's not really done anything wrong to deserve getting punched in the face by this guy, but nobody helps. This is the equivalent, like Rob just said, of everyone getting the phone out and filming it for Twitter. Everyone just watches. Yeah. Nobody goes to stop it or anything, even when she runs into the diner. No. I mean, it's like nobody jumps up except the guy working there runs out with a, um, uh, a first aid kit he grabs off the wall and runs out mm. there but it's like everybody else is like ah you know and there's even some dialogue if you got the closed caption on you can hear it some guys like hit him with your handbag so i'm thinking yes. <laughs> i don't know if that's the guy referencing the wife or it's referencing that, that like this guy this this there's an onlooker who's basically questioning the manliness of this fight saying that the you know the guy that's getting beat up is, you know, is being a little too uh, less than masculine. So he should hit him with his handbag. I don't, <laughs> I, you can take it either way, I guess, but either way, it's awful that nobody's jumping in to help this guy. I mean, the one point the guy kicks the door and catches the guy's coat in it and then proceeds to smack him about with knock him down, which is just really awful. You know, it's, it is, it's very ugly and just kind of, yeah, like you said, it's very much what you see on, social media nowadays so i guess and it's also it's also kind of a real thing because during the late 70s america had gas shortages and there were fights like this there were things got out of hand so this was for the most of most adults that were watching this movie they remembered this you know mm. this is something that i mean i don't know how often it got into literal fist fights but i'm old enough to rem- i i was eight in 1979 so i can remember stories about things getting heated at gas stations because gas was such a shortage and broke into fights. So, I mean, because that's what Americans do. Uh, so, you know, this is, it's kind of uh, back to that word, verisimilitude. It's kind of a real thing that was going on in, in America not that long ago. Yeah. And I mean, we saw things like that last year over toilet paper, you know, mm-hmm. and hand sanitizer <laughs> yeah. and things like mm-hmm. that. So, I mean, you know, so. And I, I don't know about where you guys live, but we didn't run out of toilet paper. Really? <laughs> No, no, despite everyone rushing out and pulling it off the shelves as if it was going out of fashion, we didn't run out of it. <laughs> the only reason we run out of it is because people hoarded it. That's the only yeah, reason. Even, even, even when they were doing that, they were still there. It's like, what are you people doing? It's still on the shelves. Why are you hoarding toilet paper? There, Andy, there is nothing we Americans can't make worse. There's yeah. nothing. <laughs> One of the true. things we're good at. No, we, we did it as well. That's what I'm saying. And I, I could not, for the life of me, understand it. Water, I kind of get. Food in tins, yeah, I, I could understand that. Toilet paper? <laughs> but anyway. Uh, inside that diner is uh, Gus Gorman, who is listening uh, to some of the guys talk about that uh, there's a guy in the, in the, in the diner saying that's, that there has to be somebody behind this, somebody's making money off of this oil shortage and whenever they make money like that it causes the little man to suffer and so 
Gus is there and he's hearing all this and he has this worried look on his face. And I, I think that's actually a nice scene here because it reminds us that Gus was that little guy not too long ago. And it also sets up some potential character growth. I, I think that's a nice bit right there. Yeah, I like that. I like that it's it's it started the redemption of Gus Gorman, which leads into the rest of the movie. And that this idea that Gus isn't really a bad guy. He's not a villain per se. He just fell in with a bunch of people because of these talents that he's got. Yeah, yeah. he's seeing the consequences of his actions. So that's yeah. good. I did find it strange, Chris. I don't know if you had the same problem. I couldn't find credits for any of the actors uh, on IMDb. Like none of the, either of the drivers or the waitress or the woman that runs into the diner. Like any, all those people have lines. Yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't find the credits for any of those people. I, I, it's so it just amazes me, and I'm I'm running into that when we're, while we're doing House of Frankenstein. There's there's it's just amazing how care, some people get credits in films and some don't, and they have lines and dialogue and that and actually and dialogue that propels the movie forward, and they still don't get any credits. You know, it's just it's it's really weird. I don't know how that works. I, you think there'd be some kind of arbitration with the with SAG or something? You know, over that? I don't. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. It's it's really weird. It's really weird. Um, we then cut to what appears to be the Grand Canyon or something like the Grand Canyon, where a large helicopter drops off a huge metal container marked Websco to a group of workers near a cave opening. So is this the Grand Canyon, guys? I mean, I haven't watched the movie ahead in a while, so I haven't watched ahead. So, uh, you know, I mean, I did before we started this, but it's been a few months. So is it the Grand Canyon or is it just somewhere similar? And if it is the Grand Canyon, how the hell did Ross buy that? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I think it's just somewhere similar. I don't think it's the actual Grand Canyon. Okay, okay. That, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I just got that it was somewhere, I don't know, It's maybe it's where they hide Airwolf. That's why they've got a big place <laughs> where they can they can keep everything. I, this this scene to me and all the other scenes that you've talked about in the film pretty much sets up the, the idea I've had that the Salkins really just wanted to turn this series into the James Bond films. Because this finale is very Bondian, taking place in a hollowed-out canyon. You've got the globe-trotting element to this film where he's all over the place as the movie unfolds. There's a lot of actual location filming. They don't do a lot of backdrop stuff, set the Leaning Tower of Pizza stuff, which looks terrible. <laughs> so there's this idea, I think, that if the Salkins had carried on with this, they would have lent more into that James Bond formula of each film being a globe-trotting movie of Superman getting involved in other people's problems. And maybe they'd have thought about recasting if three had been more successful. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because I guess they could have they could have pulled a they could have pulled a bond and just replaced the, you know, and then the first guy could have said this never happened to the other fella, you know, or something. <laughs> like that. Uh, so now we're back in Smallville at Lana's lush mansion that she owns somehow, uh, and she's busy uh, whisking some <laughs> whisking some eggs while on the phone with a drunken Brad who is unsuccessfully badgering her for a date. Little Ricky is doing his homework on the kitchen table. In addition to a Superman backpack of some kind or something of which is laying on the table, we see some serious product placement. Did you guys catch what's on the table with Ricky? <laughs> I was too busy laughing. Well, one, being slightly disgusted as a man at what a tool Brad is. <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. There comes a point where you've just got to accept this is now sexual harassment. And... Lana would have a real case for, for just reporting him and being oh, done with it. And I definitely. think she should have done that. 
But I do, I love her line. I love her line of dialogue. It's, well, you know, what are you doing tomorrow that you can't see me? I don't know. I'll think of something. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was genuinely funny that she doesn't even make something up for him. She genuinely says to him, I'll think of something else to do rather than spend my time with a lush like you. So that was that was most amusing. And one of the highlights of the film, as you've mentioned, you've gone through it all, is Annette O'Toole as Lana Lang. She's just absolutely brilliant, just the way she delivers that line. I didn't notice the specific product placement you're mentioning, but if you look to Ricky's right, there is a comic book behind his jar of peanut butter. Mm. And I well, couldn't see, make out what it was. It's probably a Hulk comic, knowing the Superman movies. <laughs> well, it makes sense that the Marvel comics exist in the DC universe. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it does. Um, actually, the peanut butter I was talking about, that is a jar of Superman peanut butter. Yeah. Is it? You can yep. see the S-shield on the lid, yeah. Yep. Oh, brilliant. Yep, that is Superman peanut butter was a real peanut butter made in the 80s for folks who don't know. Uh, I still have a lid from that version of the packaging. I don't have the jar, but I do. I did keep a lid all these years uh, from when I was a kid. It's you know metal and it's yellow with the S-shield. And I also have a, 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 a later jar when they switched to a blue plastic jar that has the S embossed on it. But uh yeah, that is Superman peanut butter. So we've got uh, some kind of backpack or, uh, uh, you know, a, a, sa- a sack of some kind with Superman's S on it, the peanut butter. And as Andy pointed out, I had missed that, a comic book. So uh, the, I, this does kind of show that this is a nice bit to show that Ricky really is a huge Superman fan. If he wasn't before, after being saved by the guy and having to come to your birthday party slash big town celebration, you certainly would be you know, number one fan of Superman at this point, I would think. <laughs> it's a fun idea that like in this world, Superman has been merged extensively. Like that's a, you know, like, and I wonder if you have to like get, you know, get his permission or anything like that. But I just like the idea that, that, that in this world, Superman's logo has been slapped on everything. Yeah. Was that, that was in the, oh God, I'm trying to remember now. Bailey would know this better than I would. Isn't that a Curry Bates thing or was it a John Byrne thing that he agreed to the merchandising as long as the profits went to charity? That was somewhere. I remember that. I remember reading that somewhere and I can't remember what it was. Certainly there was the the ongoing stories in the Bronze Age of the the Superman films that started. with Gregory Reed, yeah. Gregory Reed, yeah, yeah. And so that's probably part of that, I would bet, yeah. Mm. I seem to think it's, it's from a Gregory Reed story. I think you're right. I think it's the Bronze Age. But yeah, he had a licensing deal, but he didn't pocket the money. He gave all the money to charity because he's Superman <laughs> and not Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Bruce is like, you're leaving money on the table, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> you just know that Bruce is lecturing about that. You see that bat wing? That was paid for with peanut butter. You know? Cereal <laughs> <laughs> bought the bat boat. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> It came with the bank. Yeah, uh, Lana tells Brad to stop calling her, as Andy says, and he tells her she better start appreciating him because what else does she have in Smallville? And Lana responds by calling Smallville Airport and asking what flights they have to Metropolis tomorrow. But Smallville has an airport? <laughs> a commercial airport. So if they do, one, I question whether they have a, a commercial airport with, like, actual airlines uh, you know, we've got in my tiny town, we've got an airport, but it's like an airstrip that people can land like, you know, private planes and, you know, things like that. 
But if they do have a commercial airport, why did Perry make Clark and Jimmy take the bus to Smallville? Because <laughs> Perry's cheap. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to spend a ton of money on this, you know, relatively low interest story. Yeah, I always took it as that they have like an airstrip somewhere, you know, that she's going to take a puddle jumper to the nearest big hub and then get out. I really like this scene. Partly because it reminds you that that Brad's in the movie. I mean, like yeah. he's been gone for so long. You're like, oh yeah, that's right, he's in the movie. But I, I like that Lana takes that moment and turns it into an action because I, you do sit there. We've as we talked about Chris in the previous scene, like she has this huge house, and you're like, sell the house and go yeah. move because you're not yeah. going to spend that money for Ricky going to college. We know he's not going to college. We we already <laughs> so like. But I, I I like that she is like a woman of action. I like that she's she has that moment of like. Yeah, why I why am I in this podunk town when the only man that's available is Brad? So why not well, why not get out of here? I, I think it makes her look really like she's got some real agency of herself. I think that's great. It, instead of it being like Superman gives her the idea or Clark gives her the idea. I like that I mean, yeah, Brad's the one who sets it off, but she gets the idea for herself. I think that's a great turn for her. Yeah. Yeah. It is nice. And I like too that Brad seems to be sitting in this very this very empty bar <laughs> by himself. You know, it's like this, like, I think even the chairs are stacked up. So it's like, he's in this bar before they've even put the chairs down for the evening, you know? So it's like, literally, did he like, does he, did they just give him a key and let him come into the bar? <laughs> he, he, he knows the guy who owns the bar and the guy who owns the bar knows he makes a lot of money from Brad. So he lets him in in the afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. The, he's the norm of this particular bar. <laughs> yes, only not as entertaining and actually a sexist pig. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, we then cut to that cavern that we were talking about earlier, and workers attempt to discern Gus's scribbled notes off of camel cigarette packs and other pieces <laughs> of trash as they assemble his ultimate computer. So uh, that's a it's a very quick scene, and uh, but you just. You just see, um, you just see it there. I mean, this could be the this could be the guys putting the bat cave in. You know, <laughs> it's amusing to me that that Richard Pryor is actually Richard Daystrom. Yeah, <laughs> and we brought we brought the Daystrom up in the last episode. I don't know, it yeah. hasn't aired that one yet, but we're talking about the the boats or uh, all the ships are controlled by computers. So the M five was it on? Was it in well, this, this is clearly the M one. Let's see M1. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, we've got to get to the M5. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> and there'll be an institute named after him in the next generation's time, despite the fact that he was responsible for killing like 800 and some Starfleet officers. But, you oh, know, they, okay. they, they just gloss over that. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, he was a brilliant scientist who invented many of the computer systems that control our starships. Uh, sir, didn't he also kill... Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> There's that whole bit where he came back again as a vampire too. That was that was unfortunate. <laughs> uh, we then cut to the outside of the St. Louis Hotel Tavern and Bar, which for some reason is apparently located in Metropolis. Um, the streets and sidewalks are full of onlookers gawking at the scene inside. Why? Because Superman is getting drunk at the bar. Um, I will admit, guys. I probably you know Rob had that that. Uh, had that uh, experience with the scene with the uh, Superman and Lorelai. This scene bothered me as a kid. Um, my parents didn't drink. I still don't drink. And um, that's nothing. I don't have any gets at people that, that drink. I'm not saying that. But for me as a young kid, 
drinking was just bad, you know? So how it just was like, Oh man, Superman's doing something really bad. I don't know how I feel about this. Superman's not bad, you know? So how did you, how did this make you guys feel as kids? Um, I, it's, it is a little bit uncomfortable, but I think at this point it's supposed to be a little uncomfortable. I always wondered even as a kid, because obviously in the comics, we knew that Superman couldn't get drunk. So how much had he imbibed to be this sozzled? Mm. He's knocked back an awful lot of whiskey to get to this pint. Um, yeah, it's, there's a couple of uncomfortable moments in this scene. It is, is the bit with Pamela Stevenson and the bit where he's ratted here are both quite uncomfortable. And you do watch them and wonder, well, how did they let this get through? Yeah. But at the same time, I get what they're going for. They have to have him reach the absolute bottom for him to be able to fight his way out of this because there is a certain element here of playing with the idea of, of real addicts that have to get to the bottom of the barrel and have to figure that out for themselves before they can ask for help or get the help that they need or whatever. And I felt that that's what this is. This is Superman reaching the absolute bottom level of where he can be within the confines of a PG-13 movie. And like you say, if this worked, if you seeing Superman this drunk really affected you as a child, then the scene works. It does what it's supposed to do. And then when he runs out and Ricky yells at him, that's just the icing on the cake. But he, he, has, to, he has to hit rock bottom before he can pull himself out of it. And so on that level, in terms of, again, of how the scene is written, of how the script is written, of how the film is structured, you need this moment. You need him to be right at the bottom of where he can be before we get the heroic moment that we know is coming up. Rob? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it never made any sense to me that he even could be drunk. How can he get drunk on, you know, liquor? I mean, he, he, he doesn't have to eat. Now, I know that this Superman... You know, it doesn't have exactly the same power set as the comic book version, but I never really understood how he got drunk. I always figured on some level he was sort of like playing it. Like he's like, this is what bad people do. They get drunk at a bar, even though he himself is not that that drunk. Um, at least he doesn't act. I mean, he actually wobbles a little, but I never I don't know. I never took it that he that he gets that hammered. The the part about the scene that I that I don't like, and this is something we've gone over before, Chris, is that my flaw with one of the flaws I think I have with this movie is that it makes Superman look ordinary. And it shouldn't mm. ever do that. Superman should always be extraordinary because he's Superman, especially in this world where he's the only hero. And the fact that none of the other barflies are even paying attention to him is like, wouldn't that be a big deal? <laughs> like, <laughs> Superman is in a bar? Yeah. Like, they're all just sitting. I know that maybe the joke is they're all so drunk that even they are, that's how south they all are. But it just seems weird to me that it isn't until he starts doing the peanut gag that any of them are remarking about what an interesting development this is, that Superman is sitting there. Because, I mean, he's drawing a crowd. We've already seen that. So those people are reacting. But the inside, everyone's just kind of like, oh, okay, Superman's here. And to me, it's people should always be like, wow, Superman is here. It's super. It should always be that. Because that, to mm. me, it underlies how special he is. So that part of it is a little weird. But, yeah, I, it didn't bother me that much. Because, I mean, again, he's already, he's, you know, he's doing a lot. He's smashed the oil tanker. You know, and he's flooding the ocean with crude oil. To me, that's way worse than getting drunk. But, but, uh, and, and the thing with the peanuts, it's a fun gag. Again, it's like, wouldn't him hitting them with super powerful fingers just obliterate them? Like, they wouldn't become bullets. 
they would just shatter into a gajillion dust. pieces. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they would turn into dust. They wouldn't, they wouldn't become projectiles, but again, you know, I, you're over, I'm overthinking. It. Yeah. It's I, the product placement in this scene. Oh, the alcohol man. product placement there is amazing. More inappropriate <laughs> products yes. in a Superman movie. <laughs> Cigarettes and liquor galore in this Superman yep. film. Yeah. Oh no, I, I think this scene is plays out very well as an adult. I mean it it it, it definitely I agree, Andy. It it has to we have to see Superman this low to get him back up, but uh it, it just as a kid that's the way I felt. And and I do think, Rob, I, I think I think you're right. I think if we hadn't seen Superman like sitting on the stand in Smallville, like you said, it was just where he looks just kind of out of place because he's looking way too normal. If we'd seen Superman now as he is just sitting at a bar, it would have even more power because like, wow, Superman's just so low that he's just hanging out in a bar with people who barely, you know, acknowledge the fact that Superman's sitting in a bar <laughs> with them. Despite the fact that a guy in the background's reading a newspaper with Superman on the front page of it which which is funny uh so uh yeah it's it's uh i i think this scene it's very memorable i mean this scene obviously is one that people point to that you know and i mean there's memes of it with superman mm. you know throwing the liquor back the whiskey as he's drinking it and and then of course you know i, I think it, you know what you said andy uh superman stares into that mirrored backdrop and then he warps it with his heat vision so I think they're kind of trying to tell us that at least partially Superman is starting to become disgusted with what, what his, what he's, you know, become what he's fallen down to at this point. He doesn't want to look at himself because he knows he's not what he was. And maybe he would have fought back from this irrespective of, of Ricky or what Ricky does in the next scene. I don't know, but there, that's certainly what they're playing with. And I, I think as a scene, in this film, I think it's well done, and Reeve plays it well. And it never stops being funny to me that his colour scheme as evil Superman is the colour scheme he wore in Superman Returns. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's so weird when that when they first released a picture of Brandon Routh, I'm like, why is he color? Why is his costume the same colour as Evil Superman from? Yeah, from is this Superman a sequel 3? to Superman Three? But he never got better. <laughs> Oddly enough, it was act- acting as if Superman Three never happened, but. Um, yeah, that was the least of Superman Returns' his problems. <laughs> you know, true. guys, we live in a world where there hasn't been a good Superman movie since 1980. <laughs> true that. <laughs> true. Uh, there's parts of good Superman movies in each one, but uh, you know, you could you could assemble them and make a good Superman movie. Yeah. But, Superman uh, and Lois is better than any Superman movie of the past 40 years. Discuss in the message boards. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would definitely agree, yeah. Although, the, 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 if the kids don't stop all that underage drinking, they're going to be in the bar with <laughs> Superman. Yeah, they're going. it's all the kids from Superman and Lewis who are sat around him. They're just they hanging around. They're as well. Hey, boys, boys, drink up, you know. Uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, it, it, that that part of that show is just like, really? You're really going to keep showing these kids, like, like drinking, like they're 15 and they're out drinking, and they get in trouble for everything. They, they never get in trouble for it. It's like yeah, they never get Clark punished. and Lois never tell them off for it. They tell them off for other stuff. Yeah. But they never, they never actually go, look, kid, you've got superpowers. I don't really think you should be hanging around all this alcohol. <laughs> We're going to have an intervention with those two boys. You should show them this. Yeah, they show them this. This is what happened to your father. Look at, look what, <laughs> look what happened to your father. 
And you got uh, poor Tyler Hoechlin in the back going, oh, God, not again. <laughs> Rob's just like, I don't watch this show. I don't know what you guys are I feel so about. left out. <laughs> All right. So we, we will try to be more inclusive. I do apologize. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> outside, a cab carrying Lana and Ricky pulls up, but the driver can't get through because of the crowd. And you hear someone say, hey, look, Superman's drunk. And then uh, Ricky runs from the cab to see what's going on. And that's the end of our segment. So like we said, guys, this is a pretty, this is a pretty famous segment in this film, pretty important. Mm. So, uh, so overall, how do you think these, these five minutes run, Andy? Uh, it's the beginning of Act 3. It's the turning point for the film. It's Gus Gorman realising that what he's been involved with is actually a bit shady and affecting people. It's Superman realising that he's hit his lowest air, but he really needs to pull himself up by his little red booties. It's it's the turning point that leads into the one the big action set piece that everyone remembers, which is coming up in the next couple of minutes, and then the conclusion of the movie. Um I think a lot of it works exceptionally well within the confines and context of this film. I think Annette O'Toole's brilliant. I think Reeve is clearly having a lot of fun. I'm not sure. Is he wearing a wig in this one? Because I didn't understand the idea of making his temples brown instead of grey. But Christopher Reeve's real hair colour was sandy brown, not black. So I didn't know whether there was some wig stuff going on. Um, Especially when he's got the really wacky kiss curl going on that looks like John Byrne's kiss curl. But mostly it's, it's, um, it's a really important part of the film. It's, it's the beginning, it's the end of Act 2, the beginning of Act 3, where everything starts coming into place and, and gearing you up for the moment that you know has to come when John Williams' fanfare kicks in. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what do you think, Rob? Yeah, I mean, uh, as we talk about, uh, it had to be fun for Christopher Reeve to do this. Uh, it really did. It, it something uh, after playing two straight movies of being the most straight ahead kind of boring guy in the world, and I mean that in a good way. This this had to be a really fun challenge for him to do. Now you could argue maybe you shouldn't drag the Superman character through some of these paces, but as as an actor, I could see him being like, "Oh man, this is great!" And it is it is it is mostly Andy's right, and it is the most like a Bronze Age Superman comic. If that's what you wanted, this is what it is. Because I could totally see this sequence like being drawn by Kurt Swan and Frank Chiaramonte or something. <laughs> <I think> it's <laughs> totally, it totally fits. So yeah, yeah. I, I think I think Reeves really he's he's really having fun. Like you guys said with this, he's really embracing the, giving this Superman. I mean, he's he's you know he's giving he's giving him like a whole new. He's almost like he's playing a totally different character in some ways. The, the the different faces he makes and his body movements and and things. And I think I think that's really a really smart way to approach this. And uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely got that uh, that Bronze Age comic flavor to it. And uh, I think I think they pull it off. And and uh, uh, and obviously, guys, we've seen Superman do far worse <laughs> in other media when he's been corrupted one way or another or chosen to go down a dark path. I mean, this Superman's, uh, you know, practically, you know, uh, he's squeaky clean compared to some versions. Yeah, at least he's not filming porn movies with Big Barda. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Andy, you're just dropping bombs left and right on this show. Yeah, I wonder if there's a I wonder if there's a there's a Superman Lorelai tape out there somewhere, you know. <laughs> I well I'm I'm convinced Lorelai built a career out of that. I know she did. I know she milked that for all it was worth. My oh, night that, with Superman. Yep. Yeah. 
my literal night with Superman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the I spent the night with Superman story part two, written by her. You know, said mm -hmm. Lois. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a real shame we didn't see Lois's reaction to this. <laughs> we didn't see Lois's well, yeah, reaction. I, I to go on holiday for five minutes and you're shagging blondes and getting drunk in bars. <laughs> I can't leave you alone anywhere. <laughs> He's the reason the kids turned out the way they did, obviously. Uh, <laughs> uh, Andy, <laughs> Andy, thanks so much for joining us once again. Can you tell folks where they can find your latest podcast endeavors? Uh, I do the Palace of Gritting Delights. Grittering. I don't know what grittering is. The Palace of Glittering Delights, which is just my pop culture meandering through whatever the hell I want to talk about. Primarily Spider-Man, it has to be said. Yeah. Um, because I do love Spider-Man, and that's available on Two Tree Freaks. I have covered every single Stan Lee written issue of Spider-Man. And they're wonderful. Wonderful Thank podcasts. you very much. It's much appreciated. Um, I do the Overlook Dark Knight with, Bat with Batman, with Michael Bailey. <laughs> 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 I do that with Batman as well, which is great fun. Um, we kind of, we're kind of like this complimentary show to what Chris and Ryan do. <laughs> You guys do it way more than we do. <laughs> but not at the minute. No, we've not, we've not recorded for ages because Mike's just been so busy. So we've not been able to get any new episodes done, which is a shame. And that's pretty much all I do at the moment, I think. <laughs> I didn't know you did a show with Batman because I thought I was the only podcast host with an ops <laughs> file on my co-host. But now we know. <laughs> and I'm on Twitter and Facebook and all that other stuff. Come back and say hi. Very good, very good. I can't encourage you guys enough. If you, most of you probably are listening to Andy's uh, podcast, but if you aren't, you need to. And those Spider-Man episodes in particular are just wonderful. I, I love it. I loved your, uh, I loved your your Spider-Man through the decade series where you talked about your the the books the the stories that would be in the the books uh, if they collected them in that way. That was that was great. Oh, thank you very much. That was a lot of fun. Hard work. If you do, you do podcasting, so you know the amount of effort that doing something like that takes. But my God, doing the 90s stuff was a lot of fun again. You <laughs> know, the clones. Well, that's, the 90s has so much comic with regards to specific characters like Spider-Man and Superman, et cetera, et cetera. And so much of it is awful in the 90s. <laughs> but every now and again, you'll read one and you'll go, actually, some of this stuff's really good. And then, and you know, and you get into it and you're reminded why you love this stuff as much as you do when you dig into the weeds like that. Thank goodness for J.M. DiMatteis, right? So. Yes, him and, <laughs> him and Sal Buscema's run on Spectacular Spider-Man. He's fantastic. And if you've never read it, well, all you can do is go out and buy the back issues because it's never been collected and it isn't on Comixology because Marvel don't have a goddamn clue. <laughs> Oh, I love it. <laughs> uh, we'd love to read your, read your comments on Superman 3 over at firewaterpodcast.com. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you're so inclined. Special thanks to Alex Robinson and Pete the Retailer, Star Wars Minute, for starting the whole Movies by Minute phenomenon. Check out all the shows they have helped inspire over at moviesbyminute.com. Extra special thanks to all the patrons of the Firewater Podcast Network. If you would like to support the network financially, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. There you can find many ways you can help keep the network going, including support levels. They can get you a special shout out on the show of your choice, like Superman's pal, Henry Bernstein, who supports Superman Movie Minute. Thank you, Henry. Yay. Yay. Join our never-ending battle here next week on Superman Movie Minute as we continue our coverage of Superman 3. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much, Rob and Chris. That was a delight. This is a lovely show. I'm glad you both do it. And it's such a shame it's coming to an end with Superman 3 because there were no more Superman movies. Ha, 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 ha.
Giorgio, per favore. E grazie. 